I'm here today with Teresa Bonapartis, the author of A Journey to Healing Through Divine Mercy. Welcome, Teresa. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. This was this is one of my favorite projects to work on, honestly, um, because I thought the topic was so important. What inspired you to write A Journey to Healing Through Divine Mercy? Oh, well, I guess basically it was just that I um, was on my own, had been on my own healing journey, and there really wasn't anything out there for me uh, when I was going through it. And once I started the ministry and really seeing the patterns of so many people, I just thought and knew that uh, my experiences that I wrote up would be helpful to others that were on their own healing journey. Okay. Right. Yeah. Tell us about that journey. Share your testimony to Porsche to Board of Healing. Okay. So um, when I was 17, I became pregnant. I grew up in a Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Um, just like many teenagers, I totally hid my pregnancy from my parents because I was afraid, right? Kids are just afraid. You're afraid to say anything. And um, so I hid it. And at that time, I grew up in the 60s. So there was like the peasant outfits and mm-hmm. you could really hide it. And I hid it from my family until I was um towards the end of my fourth month of pregnancy. Um, And I was very afraid to tell them, but I also felt that um, I didn't have to worry about abortion or anything like that because we were Catholic and I didn't think that it would be an issue. Mm -hmm. However, when I did tell my father, it turned out to be totally different from what I thought it would be. Um, He actually got up out out of his chair, told me to forget that I was his daughter. He was going to forget that I was his daughter. Mm -hmm. he kicked me out of the house. And so I was 17 years old, no job, no money, no place to go. Um, after that, he had my sister keep calling me to, um, he wanted me to get an abortion. And I kept saying no. And, you know, it's funny because you hear all the time, you know, that it's a woman's choice. But what I've learned over the many years of doing this ministry is very often it's not a woman's choice, even if they think it's their choice. Mm-hmm. There's so often so many other pressures that come their way. And so day by day, he would have my sister call me. I'd tell her I didn't want to have an abortion. And she keeps saying to me, where are you going to go? Where are you going to live? At this time, I was staying with friends of, of mine, a mm-hmm. friend of mine, her parents, but the time was limited. And and I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to support the baby. And little by little, day by day, what ended up happening is that um, I totally caved into the pressures to have the abortion. And so because I was in my fourth month of pregnancy, I had a saline abortion, mm-hmm. which is they inject your abdomen with saline. And what it does is it burns the baby to death. So I, w- I went to a hospital. I still don't remember how I got to the hospital. I do remember the doctor coming into the room. No one told me the development of my baby. Nobody told me anything that was going to happen to me. Um, I was just a 17 year old kid in the hospital room by myself with no clue what I was in for or, or what was or, or like I said, the development of my baby that I really didn't want to abort, but really felt like I really felt like I had no choice at that point. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ended up going into labor and about 14 hours later, I gave birth to a dead baby boy and the nurse came into the room and she picked him up and she threw him in her jar. And to say that my life changed is an understatement. Um, I hated myself. I couldn't Mm -hmm. even believe that it was possible that something like this would happen. Um, 
it just was beyond my comprehension that it was legal. And um, my life just just took a downward spiral after that. And, you know, like a lot of people will say, oh, it's terrible. You saw your baby. But in some ways, Chris, I feel like that was my saving grace because mm-hmm. I never deny what abortion was because I saw firsthand what abortion was. Yeah. And I just started this destructive behavior and it went on for years. I ended up marrying someone who is addicted to alcohol and drugs who treated me very badly. Hmm. I ended up having two children with him, um, but living in, you know, alcoholism and addiction, it's not a very nice place, but I didn't think that I deserved anything better than that. And Hmm. I often say that I probably would have stayed in that situation except for my kids and not wanting them to grow up like that. Mm -hmm. And I ended up um, leaving him when my kids were two and four years old. And, um, At that same time, um, I went back to school. I became a drug and alcohol abuse counselor a few years later, but I was trying to get my life together, but it was never getting together because I was suffering all the things so many people suffer from Mm -hmm. was at an abortion, this low self-esteem, you know, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, all those different things. Mm -hmm. When my son, my older son was seven, um, he was in religious instructions, even though I never, ever stepped foot into a church since the day I had my abortion. But I wanted him to receive the sacraments. And so I sent him and they sent home a notice for a meeting that was going to happen for first penance. And I went to the meeting and there was a priest there and he started to speak about, um, you know, the sacrament of reconciliation and the things that God to, could forgive you for. And mm-hmm. he started all these sins and in the middle of it he talked about the sin of abortion and so I latched on to that because I I had long ago um thought there was any forgiveness for me I thought I was doomed to hell there was no way back this was the end you know you just live in that despair day by day by day you're just living in that despair not finding any way back just thinking that you know there's never going to be an end to this and um After that meeting, I got up the courage to call this priest and I went in to talk to him Mm -hmm. and um, he was the first person because I had tried therapists. I had tried many things. He was the first person that actually acknowledged the pain that I was feeling. He actually acknowledged the life of my child. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up going to confession and it was really the beginning of my my journey back to God. And um, at that time, there wasn't anything else out there for post-abortion, really. Mm -hmm. And so I I say that, I mean, oftentimes I say that God, I think, wanted me to do the the voyage with him um, without a lot of support around me because of what he had me do later in beginning the ministry and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just became on a quest to come and and to come to know God and to come to know his mercy. And one thing led to the other until I ended up um, many years later, beginning the um, entering Canaan ministry with the sisters of life, which is now in its 25th year. Um, We offer different retreats for women. And then with the Friars of the Renewal, we do retreats for men and for siblings of aborted babies, because let's face it, there's been Mm -hmm. like what, 63 million abortions in our country. There are so many people wounded by abortion and so many people separated from God because of it. So talk to me about 
you know you have you have such a powerful journey, and yet sadly, I think it's it's far from uncommon. I think that far too many people are somewhere along that path, and many have never heard that either an acknowledgement of their pain or that forgiveness is possible. Why why do so many people not know that post-abortive women so frequently struggle with some of these issues? Because they're afraid to speak out, because they hide it. There's couples that the marriage isn't good, and it's because one of them has had an abortion, but the other one doesn't know. Mm-hmm. But it intimacy it's integrated so much in our society and why don't people speak out well to be completely honest chris i think the problem is on both sides of the issue mm-hmm. and, and i feel like until there's an acknowledgement of it um in the light of mercy that mm-hmm. it's never going to end because there's tons of people there's millions of people sitting on their couches who are post-abortive who haven't told a soul i get yeah. those all the time i've had women 80 90 years old call me up and they've held it inside for 60 years Mm -hmm. they're so afraid of being judged i think on the pro-life side we very often focus on the baby and unfortunately there's a lot of people that are still very judgmental i wrote something recently and um some of the comments i got i thought to myself thank goodness i'm the one getting these comments and i actually prayed for other people not to see them because, mm-hmm. you know, they were unbelievable. And these are people that call themselves pro-life. And I'm not saying everybody's like that, but I'm saying yeah. that is out there. And I think that frightens people to come forward for healing because they feel like they're going to be judged. They are afraid they're not going to be loved. So they don't want people in their family to know about it. There's just such controversy around the whole thing. And then on the pro-abortion side obviously you know they talk about a woman's right to choose and a woman's right and and all Mm -hmm. of this kind of stuff so they just see us as judgmental there was there's funny we have a group here in new york called the new york new york city for abortion rights and there was something Mm -hmm. on their website not that long ago they often come to the clinics to counter demonstrate if we're out there praying or whatever and one of the things on their website recently said something about how we the pro-lifers need to stop with their fetal their fetal fixation and that um we are the ones that had the abortions and and she didn't mean it in this way but if you read it it was so obvious how much they're hurting yeah absolutely so yeah so people on the other side are just so caught up in justifying and let's face it you can't look at something as horrific as abortion without first knowing the love and mercy of god and i truly believe that i really believe that it's so horrible and mm-hmm. so and you've participated in the death of your own child, that it's impossible to look unless you first know the love, the unconditional love and mercy of God. And that's the thing that gives you the courage to move forward in your healing and, and, and to go on the journey of healing because you know that you're loved and you know that you're forgiven. And I think so many pro-choice people assume that you can avoid the trauma if the abortion is safe or if it's legal, if society doesn't stigmatize it. Talk talk to me a little about that. Yeah, well, they talk about that all the time, right? The stigma of abortion. Yeah. 
they somehow think that that stigma is going to go away, but it's never going to go away because it is not natural for a woman to kill her own child. Mm -hmm. And I think no matter how much they try, no matter how much they try to justify it, rationalize it, no matter how many that they, it's funny because these same people who come to the clinic, like they'll say that, you know, we're harassing them or whatever, but they're really the ones that are harassing. They're so angry. I have a sign that, um, that I bring. And on the sign, it just says something like they tell you that, um, I don't even remember what it says now, but it says something like, you know, things are going to go back to normal after you have an abortion, but they never go back to normal, you know? And, um, one of them took my sign and, and just wrote across it. God loves abortion. Like they, they're so desperate not to want to hear the truth. They especially don't like me or other people who have experienced and found healing from abortion because they know that we're speaking a truth. They can't say anything to us because it was our experience. And and there's such anger and resentment and such a need to keep justifying what they did because why? Because they don't know God's love and mercy. They don't have any relationship with God. Mm -hmm. They're living out in the secular world. And so, of course, they have to rationalize it because how the heck could they look at something so terrible um, and forgive themselves yeah. and, and reach any kind of peace if if um, if they don't know God's love and mercy? Yeah, expand on that a bit. You've, you've referenced a few times the vital importance, not just for healing, but for a culture of life, that there be the sort of divine mercy message and devotion. Why is that so central to any hope for changing the culture? Because I, I, I truly believe, okay, I, I have this thing and, and it's just really intense within me that we have abortion because we need to learn to show mercy and compassion to each other, mm-hmm. not just people that had abortions, but to everyone, the people on the pro-abortion side, the people on the pro-life side, yep. we're all sinners in need of the mercy of God. And, and, and I think, isn't that what he came to teach us? He taught us how to love. Yep. He taught us, he came to teach us how to love everyone. And so that message of mercy is something that we all need. We all need to know in spite of our feelings. And, and we can't reach out to post-abortive people so that we could show how horrible abortion is. We should be reaching out to post-abortive people because their souls are separated from God. And that's who he came to call sinners. And if I truly believe that if we reach out to people for no other reason, but for their healing and and their reconciliation with God, if we kept doing that, then God would end abortion because we'd all be learning mercy. Well, we'd be all be receiving mercy. And, and that's really what he came to bring us his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. And until we do that, um, I don't know, you know, like often in our churches, we talk about abortion, but we have the part about God's loving love and forgiveness and they're supposed to abortive people in our pews. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so important to always talk about the evil of abortion and Mm -hmm. how bad it is, but never without talking about, the love and the mercy that God has for us, no matter what our sins are, that he's there and he wants to give us that love and mercy. And it's that love and mercy that brings us closer to him, that brings him into those wounds Mm -hmm. that we have and that heals us. 
And let's make sure to say that really clearly just, just so that this is part of the conversation. Abortion is a sin that can be forgiven. Yes. The church, the church has absolution to offer for those who have had an abortion. It is, it is a forgivable sin. It is for sure. And I know that for sure, not only for my own life and what I've experienced after years of living in despair without hope and knowing what God has done in my own life. My life, as my spiritual director tells me all the time, my life is a miracle. Mm -hmm. And it is. It really is a miracle. He has just totally blessed me. And doing this work for all these years, I've been totally blessed to see so many people come in full of despair, full of fear, yeah. uh, just terrified and watched as he's worked in their lives and transformed their lives and brought them to his mercy and brought them to a place in their life where they have peace and joy again. I And it's not like he's looking down and saying, oh, I'm going to do it for Teresa and I'm going to do it for Betty and I'm going to do it for Joe. No, mm-hmm. he does it for every single one of us. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what our sin is. It's there for us. And we're the ones that keep ourselves from it. We're the ones that shut us ourselves out off. That grace is always there. It's if we accept it or not. Yeah. That's such an important message. And, and I am always astounded at how many people have never heard it before. It seems like, or it's never really been, they've never really processed they're was, terrified. And I think one yeah. of the things with abortion is they're terrified to let go. They're mm-hmm. terrified. It, it's like they can't they can't believe that God would forgive them for such a terrible sin. And they're so terrified to look. And um, it's the thing that stops them. And I keep saying to them, trust until you can't trust. Just yeah. take little steps of trust. And, and you're going to see that he's there for you. And he's going to transform you little by little by little as you let him into your life. Yeah. Things change for you. Okay. And one of the great proponents of that spirituality of trust was St. Faustina. Talk yeah. a little about her role in your healing and in your apostolate. Well, you know, um, I don't... You probably do know this because you edited the book, but um, St. Faustina and the Divine Mercy and Our Lady of Chestahova, those Mm -hmm. were the main things involved in my healing, my personal healing. And so, of course, when I developed the ministry, I brought that in with with me into the ministry because of the message. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the message that she gave. And and um, just the whole in the in the diary just all of her her total message just that trusting in god just keep trusting listen to his message open mm-hmm. yourself to his mercy so it was just such a beautiful thing to hear and and you know sometimes people don't try things unless they're really what they say in in addictions is the you hit bottom right and it's the same thing i think with healing from abortion sometimes you really have to hit the bottom before you're able to listen and i think that she i want to say makes it seem simple you know Mm -hmm. like invitation is there and and it's not some like some saints could be so way out there that it's hard for the common person to understand or they're so deep like you're talking john say john of the cross or mm-hmm. you know say Teresa of avila like some people read them and say oh no i can't do this but i think saint faustina um she really brings it to the human level where anybody could read her messages and really relate to them yeah. and really believe um 
in the, in God's mercy and, and leading them to God's mercy through her. Mm-hmm. That's good. And so she is, she's definitely someone you'd recommend for, for other people walking the same journey. Oh, sure. Okay. Divine Mercy. If you look at the website for entering Canaan, Divine Mercy, the whole thing, it's all over there. Great. <laughs> you can't not find it. That's for sure. It's, it's a huge part of the entering Canaan ministry. So let me, let me ask you from a different direction as well now. So I, I personally have never had, ever paid for an abortion, ever had a girlfriend who needed an abortion, ever. Like, I just haven't been touched personally in a direct way by this. And at the same time, uh, I want to be pro-life publicly. I want to take part in this work. What do I, someone like me, need to know and to keep in mind as we do this to be helpful to people who, who are post-abortive and not hurtful? Yeah, I think the language is very, you know, and I and I think a lot of people do this just they because they don't know they're not out to be vengeful or anything yeah. like that. But I think of a lot of the language that we look at that we hear could be um, misleading and 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 hurtful to people. Just to give a a little example of it, like sometimes people will say, "I don't know how anybody could have an abortion," mm-hmm. and when somebody says that to me, you know what I say to them. You're not. Thank yeah. God yeah. that you don't know how anybody could have an abortion. Thanks be to God that you have that grace in your life and it didn't happen to you. Yeah. Um, that you didn't have an abortion or something like um, one of my pet peeves is when I see see unwanted baby. That baby was unwanted. Uh-huh. That, I, I just feel like there is no such thing as an unwanted baby. Yeah. Um, I feel like with people with abortion oh my ba- i wanted my baby i did you know um i caved into the pressures and i had committed a terrible sin but i never didn't want him you know and you think mm-hmm. about people who abort because of adverse diagnoses there's yeah. so many couples that avert they wanted their babies they had the rooms ready do mm-hmm. you know what i mean so you can't make general statements like that because it's just not true yeah like yeah. It, it sounds crazy but there's tons of people who aborted babies that wanted them it's it's our society it's an evil and yeah. sickness within our society and so i think we need to be careful and that doesn't mean that we ever justify abortion or mm-hmm. say that it's okay and we, of course we always need to always talk about that but the bottom line is Nobody knows why someone had an abortion. And while it's never, ever okay to have an abortion, we need to be compassionate. And um, so that they'll look just like what John Paul II says in the gospel of life, right? He talks about, um, look about, look at what happened to you. Like Mm -hmm. look at your experience so that you can change. And, you know, the God of mercies is ready there to forgive you. And that's really the message that we all, and I think that we need to give people that had an abortion a voice because I don't think there's enough of a voice out there for them. We'll hear from pro-life people all the time, very rarely, do you hear from people that have had an abortion? And honestly, no one knows better than they do. Yeah, absolutely. No one knows better than they do, mm-hmm. um, you know, even why people abort, you know? So I think there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good things out there. But I think in many ways, we're our own worst enemies because yeah. we, we, again, it goes back to that humility, accepting that mercy. We're all sinners. We yeah. all need to show each other mercy. And and I think that's just 
crucial to all of this. It's just yeah. crucial to the whole, you know, because people like Monsignor Riley, who started God's Precious Infants, he says something, and I'm, I'm misquoting him, I'm sure, mm -hmm. but he talks all the time about going to the clinics. And of course, he tries to stop people when they're going in because you want to save the soul of the mother. But he always says the babies are in heaven. We don't have to worry about the babies, but the, but, but, he talks about how he stands there when people are coming back out because he's a priest and his job is to save souls. Yeah. And, and it's so true. Like, you know, we could try to save the babies and we should try to save the babies. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, we should definitely do that. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is Jesus came to earth to call sinners, to call yeah. souls to himself. And I think a lot of times we forget that part in the pro-life movement. We're yeah. so focused on the babies that once somebody goes and have an, has an abortion, we don't really, you know, pay much attention. And and honestly, 63 million abortions. There's a lot of people out there suffering. There's a lot of people out there listening to us and watching us. I often say, you know, when we have these elections, wouldn't it be wonderful to have the politician get up there and talk to those people who are sitting in silence and suffering on their couches. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be amazing to yeah. have somebody actually address it because you know that the other side is always promoting abortion and it's a right for women and it's a good thing for women. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it is not a good thing for women and it's never going to be a good thing for women, yeah. but we don't ever have anybody out there talking about the damage to women or very there's some people, yeah. but not too many, you know, yeah. and I think that's the message that has to get out there because everybody knows someone that's had an abortion, whether it's a woman, a man, your sister, your uncle, your friend, mm -hmm. your coworker, everyone knows someone who's had an abortion, whether they know that they know them or not. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing that I think useful that I discovered just doing kind of Catholic apologetics, you know, you're talking to people about the faith. And I found it really tempting sometimes when someone makes the same bad argument or the same, you know, they're relying on the same bad set of facts or something to attack the faith. I've had to very consciously focus on addressing the person and not the argument. Right. That I'm not talking to the bad facts. I'm not talking to the bad argument. You know, there's not some sort of monolith of people out there all promoting the same thing and they're, they're all just one big block that I have to talk to this person here in front of me. And love this person here in front of me. Exactly. So I'm and that's, not, yes. So I'm not talking to the abortion. I'm talking to the woman or I'm talking to the man. I'm not right. talking to the sin. I'm talking to the person. And the person's and, hurt. And, right. And honestly, I've been doing this work for over 25 years now. I've literally worked with thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say to you without a doubt that there's a very, 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 very small percentage of people that I've met who really wanted to get an abortion. Yeah. There, the most times there's some kind of pressure. And again, I'm not justifying the abortion in any way. It's always wrong. Yeah. But we can't, we don't know what people are going through. Yeah. We don't yeah. know how desperate they feel. Is this the solution? No. And sadly, they find that out after because it's yeah. never the solution. But the bottom line is we need to be able to give them that compassion mm -hmm. and to be able to listen to them so that they can work through this and, and be united to God again. I mean, cause ultimately that's what it's about is saving souls. Well, and, and I think that's so important to hammer home because that would be true. Even if we ever lived in a post row society, 
even if abortion became illegal again, we'd still have an obligation of compassion and care for people who had abortions. Right. Right. And they'd be coming out of the woodwork probably, yeah. you know, yeah. like, it's just like, I feel like, I mean, I know we have project Rachel in the church and there are some things, but I, I honestly do feel like this is an area that I don't think people recognize how much it's impacted our society. We do retreats um, yeah. also for siblings of aborted babies mm-hmm. And I, we have people come from all over the country and Canada to come to these retreats. There are so many people suffering because they know that they've lost a brother or a sister or multiple brothers or sisters from abortion. And it really impacts their identity and their lives. And they're filled with all kinds of guilt for being alive. And would my name be the same? And did my parents want me? There's so many dynamics. So we're talking about a society with 63 million abortions mm-hmm. with millions and millions and millions and millions of wounded people yeah without their feelings getting validated yeah. without you know how many of them like you said they don't even know that there's any kind of healing or or whatever you know mm-hmm. with with feeling judged by the church many times because yeah. they're not he- hearing the healing message well that's um, an important point talk to me about what pastors need to be knowing and thinking about to minister to post abortive people well i think that with the priests i think that Honestly, like they need to be trained in this because I think that they're they're very good and they just don't know how to talk about it. And honestly, um, I've been doing over the years, there's a priest training that I do with one of the Franciscan Friars of Renewal, Mm -hmm. Father Marius Koch, and we've been invited into different dioceses. And it's been wonderful because when they have us in, um, the priests are so grateful because yeah. a lot of times they don't talk about it because they're afraid they're going to hurt someone because they don't know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So we do talk about how do you talk to the people that are sitting in your pews, how you can't address abortion without addressing God's mercy and that forgiveness is available. What kind of penances would you give? Um, just how to reach out in homilies, all practical things for them to learn. And once they do learn it, they do it because I know because I get some of the phone calls after of people mm-hmm. that they've talked to. And, and it's really beautiful to see um, when when they're shown they're eager to do it. But but many times, like I say, they just feel so ill equipped to be able to deal with this. They don't know what to say. And then there's also some of them that. Unfortunately, um, there's a false compassion there, especially when it comes to like adverse diagnosis abortions. Mm-hmm. You know, like if somebody comes in really devastated, very often maybe the priest doesn't know what to say. And so they don't want to condemn the people. And so there's a there's a almost an acceptance of what happened. And so even there, they need to learn that they're not really helping those people, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Like it's, it's important to always speak the truth, no matter how hard that is. So, but the good news is that, you know, I, I, just to give you an example, there was a priest near here and and a church that um, is near here. And one time he said to me, I don't have any post-abortive people in my church. And I said to him, father, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you know, um, 
then you really need to start thinking about how you're speaking, because I can guarantee you that you have people that have had an abortion in your church. And he was like, really? And, and, you know, he, he did start watching and we talked and whatever. And of course there was people that had had abortions in his church, but people saw him as this pro-life priest Mm -hmm. and they would never go up to him and tell them about their abortion because they'd never heard the other half, the mercy part. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's just so crucial that it's both, you can't talk about one without the other. Hmm. And that goes for both sides. Um, post-aborted people can't be given so much compassion that they think what they did was okay, yeah. you know, and, and pro and the other side, it, it's like, there's, there's, they've both got to go together. The evil of abortion, how wrong it is, but look at how what people say to me, you know, Oh, um, I want to, you know, they're going to make up for their abortion. And I always tell them, you know, you, you're never going to make up for your abortion. You can't make up for your abortion. But the beautiful part is you don't have to because he did. Think about that, yeah. that he came and he made up for your abortion. He died on the cross to pay the price for your abortion. Yeah. It's really so beautiful when you think about it, right? Yeah. It's just like so amazing. And, and that's where you try to get people to be able to come to that point where they really see that, that okay. they can really accept that mercy and, and forgiveness and love into their hearts. So let's, in these final minutes, let's talk through some practical things that our listeners can do to help bring about a culture of life. What are some of the most important things to be done to actually inaugurate a culture of life? Well, I personally think that we need to get to kids very young, especially in the culture that we have nowadays, you know, maybe through our, you know, CCD programs or, you know, within our churches, at least if we could to get into other schools, because I think that they're indoctrinated at such a young age, especially with Mm -hmm. all the sexual things. And and they don't hear the other side. They don't understand the other side. And so so I think education is, is absolutely crucial. Education about why God teaches what he does about, you know, taking care of yourself and not having sex until marriage and, and what a gift it is, but also education about abortion and what it really is. It's funny because I had a conversation with someone, just to give you a quick example, who um, was quote unquote, pro-choice and all her friends were pro-choice. And she kept on talking about it and everything. Every time she said pro-choice, I said to her, well, what's the choice? And she'd look at me and I'd say, the choice is killing a baby. And as we went on and on and on and and during the conversation, because this was like a couple hour conversation, at one point she just stopped and she looked at me and she said, oh my gosh, I never, ever thought about it like that again. You know, she never even had thought about it like that because she was so indoctrinated all her life. Mm -hmm. Abortion is a good for woman. Abortion is this. Abortion is a woman's health issue. Abortion is this, you know, that she never, ever stopped to really consider what abortion is. And that, unfortunately, is the truth. So for me, it's like the main thing is to educate and to get in to the younger people. And I think like, as far as the pro-life movement goes, I think, again, it goes back to that compassion. And I can't say it enough. It's just to try to really reach out to people and to be compassionate and to care just as much for the women and the men and the siblings mm-hmm. as we do 
about the babies because they're all gods. We're all God's people. Yeah. And, yeah. and to be able to understand and to try to understand so that you can bring them back to God, because ultimately that's like I said before, that's what it's all about. Isn't it saving souls, our own and others. Right. Mm -hmm. And to bring people to the mercy and the love of God. And I think that, there has to be, you know, like oftentimes you hear the pro-choice saying, oh, they care about the women and the babies before the abortion, but not after. Now, I know that's not true, especially me. I work for good counsel. We have five homes for unwed mothers and babies. Mm -hmm. But in some respects, it is true, like not everywhere, but there are a lot of people that are focused on just stopping the abortion and, um, you know, not much to do after. So, and I, and not everybody could do anything. And there's one, there's tons of wonderful organizations and people. I mean, you look at things like I love students for choice. If I mean students, um, you know, they go into the college campuses and and they spread mm -hmm. the truth and stuff. They do such beautiful work. Students for life. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's fantastic the stuff that they do. But again, I think that we need to have a balance in the before and after and really care about the dignity and the worth of each individual person Absolutely. from the baby to, you know, to the hundred year old person. Right. Okay. And for our Marian helpers who are listening, especially what roles do our lady and St. Joseph have in the fight for a culture of life? Oh, I think very big roles. Right. I mm -hmm. think so. I mean, um, our lady Chestahova is the patroness of our ministry and, um, I have a very special devotion to her. She's just manifested herself in so many different ways, including to be the patroness of our ministry. And for me, she has just been such a light in bringing the ministry into being, in, in, in directing our path to God, in, in really showing, um, I believe, what, what God's wanted within the ministry. And so for anyone, um, you know, like I just feel like, you know, he gave us Mary, right? Our mother. And, and she, you never could go wrong just putting yourself totally under her mantle and allowing her to lead you to Jesus because yep. she's never going to let you down. And the same thing for St. Joseph, right? A protector. Um, I know for our men's ministry, obviously that's the, the focus there is St. Joseph and um, just who he is and and I, obviously we need a lot of that, right? Because men have really been um, attacked with this too and very confusing for them. Um, you know, it's a woman's choice, but then if the woman makes the choice and she's unhappy, then they're at fault. And, you know, some they have nothing to say about whether the baby lives or not. So mm -hmm. there's so many dynamics there. And I think St. Joseph is really a sturdy shelter for them, yep. um, you know, to be able to, really progress in their healing as well as men of God, right? Yeah, certainly. Teresa, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Yeah, I've been talking to Teresa Bonapartis, author of A Journey to Healing Through Divine Mercy. To order A Journey to Healing Through the Divine Mercy by Teresa Bonapartis, please visit shopmercy.org. This has been Sparks of Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit 
divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Thank you.